Welcome to The Pursuit, a podcast produced by the Junior Board of the Chicago Midwest Chapter of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, otherwise known as NADIS. We are a group of emerging media professionals seeking insight from leaders in our fields. I'm Larry Larson, a sports broadcaster and a senior at Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois. I'm also your host for this episode. My guest for today's episode is Pablo Iglesias, a multimedia journalist at WKOW in Madison, Wisconsin. His focus is on sports, but he also covers some news from time to time. I picked Pablo because he's somebody I've gotten to know through the Bradley Network. He's a 2017 graduate of Bradley University, and I think he's somebody that a lot of young professionals can relate to. He's given me a lot of advice along my career journey. And I hope that his advice can help you a little bit here today. Here's Pablo Iglesias. Pablo, thanks for taking the time and and thanks for joining. Larry, I mean, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Really great, really great to hear about this project that you got going on. And again, you know, happy to be a part of it. So our first question that we ask all of our guests is, what was the moment when you knew you wanted to pursue this career and that would be your career in broadcasting you know um when i first discovered what i wanted to do in this industry um i think i was i was 10 years old basically and uh as you know as i i don't know i think this is just audio but i'm wearing uh probably wearing my chicago white Sox cap right now um i fell in love with them in 2005 i went to a few games when i was a kid grew up a mile from the stadium um, and, and when your team wins a World Series and you get all this like national TV and you're listening to all these broadcasters, how could you not fall in love um, with it at that point? So I love the storytelling aspect. Um, they were on different networks, too. It was like ESPN. So it was like Chris Berman was part of their playoff run. You had Joe Buck and Tim McCarver. Um, and I think just in general, that's that's just what I loved about the storytelling aspect. Um, I really liked writing as a kid, too, when I started out. So that's where it started. Like I wanted to be a sports writer. Then it became a broadcaster. Um, I actually, the high school I went to at the time, we were probably one of the few, not just like in Chicago, not just Illinois, but I want to say like nationwide um, at Mount Carmel High School in Chicago to have a high school broadcast program. Um, I mean, what programs are today versus what it was uh, when I was in high school? it's night and day, but it was very much in the beginning. We had one camera, we had this like Bluetooth microphone that I think you might use for like conference calls now or something. Uh, (laughs) We would just pass it back and forth. Um, But we were broadcasting football games. And I want to say by the time my senior year came around, we were like averaging at least like five to 6,000 people. I think we peaked at just under 10,000 for, for the live streams, which is crazy. Um, so that's where, you know, in general, like where my broadcasting passion uh, came in. I also liked doing a lot of video work, um, which is something that I would always tell to, to like all of us in this industry is to make sure you're not one dimensional, um, know that you can have like different storytelling talents. And I think from there, that helped me develop as a storyteller. Went to Bradley University in the midst, though, too, in high school, I did a couple summer programs um, like during those years, Um, went to Bradley University, majored in sports communication, 
right off the bat, I think it, it was just a fun experience. The first internship I had was with the Peoria or covering the Peoria Chiefs, should I say, um, with a writing experience. Um, then, yeah, interned with the Dodgers, got to work with some great people at the organization and iHeartRadio. Um, and, and I think those are just like the things that propelled me into, you know, getting into this industry before I, I really jumped in full time. But going back here, whole question there was just, you know, a, a love for storytelling. And um, yeah, I, I just kept pushing myself each and every day. And, and this is what I wanted. And, you know, it's, it's crazy to say that we're here today. I think that gravitating towards a sports team. I think that's something that a lot of broadcasters can relate to. You know, they grew up watching a sports team and they were around it so often. And then they decided, oh, I want to be around teams like this for my career. And I think I can kind of relate to that too. You said a lot there, but I want to jump back to Mount Carmel High School. We've discussed this a little bit and you mentioned that really sort of ignited your passion for broadcasting. That's something I can relate to at Belvedere High School up here by Rockford, Illinois. Our broadcasting program is pretty primitive. It was very straightforward, not a lot of high-tech stuff, but you were on camera. How much does that early experience in your mind help? Oh, my God. I think in, with the accessibility that everybody has today, even something like this, honestly, um, that you're doing, we did not have these types of things when I was like in high school per se, like things were still developing. So the more different ways you can kind of create content today, the better. Um, it, it doesn't hurt to like try to figure out different ways to hone in that craft, even if they're fun, even if like you're, even if you're doing like a podcast on your own and like five people, including yourself and your parents, whoever's listening, like just do something to to get that creative process going to like understand it and I think for me um with what we did I think it was great my uh, mentor at the time he's uh he's doing some other things now um, but he used to be our moderator at the school um I, I he'll always talk about like I think it was my first day freshman year I was so eager to be a part of the broadcast program that I came to his classroom and I told him, like, I introduced myself. I said, I'd love to do all these types of things. And, and the rest is history from there. You know, it was four years. I did a lot of behind the scenes work, moved my way up. And I, I think it's kind of, you know, what it is like in this industry, too, is wherever it is, you always got to move up the ladder. You always got to be willing to do something. Um, you know, you, you want to make the most out of your situation that you have here. Just because you're not in the exact position that you want doesn't mean you can't learn from it. So I think from an early stage at that point, I almost subtly learned that. And I just enjoyed being a part of the process. And lo and behold, um, you know, I grew as a leader. I grew as somebody who could have that experience. So again, it's, you know, to, to go back to what you're asking is it's, it's so valuable to have these early experiences. And like I said, with the amount of excessive, uh, with the things that we can really access today, it's even easier to make something happen. So I, I would definitely recommend to anyone listening, wanting to kickstart. It's also never too late. Um, you just gotta have that discipline. You gotta have that schedule, but um, don't feel like you have to overdo it either. Do what's right for you and, and the rest will follow. And then jumping ahead, another level of education to Bradley University, a school that both of us know very well. What did you do there to further your craft and set yourself up for success? 
You know, I think in different ways, uh, just going back to like the leadership conversation and just kind of becoming more confident with your voice, um, it slowly helped me develop that. I think there was a sense of like confidence, like once you get into the industry, sure, when you're full time, that definitely helps. I would love to pinpoint a specific moment, my fall senior year when I did the Hollywood semester, which, you know, to to kind of explain that to the listeners, Bradley University has a special program to the it's similar to a study abroad uh, for a semester although it's it's in los angeles so it's a co-op you get to take classes based on the show business industry and then part of it too is that you do an internship in the area so again to talk about that my internship was with the los angeles dodgers and their iheart radio station so great experience and i think when i was who i can't remember when it was specifically but I do remember uh, the radio show that I was working with uh, at AM570 LA Sports. My supervisor, who was the producer for one of the shows, I went up to him. I said, hey, you know, this is pretty interesting. This is kind of funny. I think Fred and Leanne could segue into a good conversation. And I, I brought up this thing. Actually, I think it was when the Cubs won the World Series. So I saw that it was like Fox 32 or somebody was interviewing Theo Epstein and because everybody's living in the moment on live TV, nobody at that moment really cared. So I think Theo Epstein dropped an F-bomb like on live TV. Um, so that was hilarious. And I showed it to my producer. And I'm like, hey, I know obviously we're a Dodger station, but this is still a big story, of course. And it, it was fun. Um, and, and he really appreciated that and everything. And, and there were different things. Um, and he talked to me afterwards. He's like, that's the big thing that I would always tell interns is that never be afraid to ask. Um, or or come forward with something because he's like the worst thing that's going to happen is that someone will say no and that was something that stuck with me for a while because in this industry yes we're going to face rejection a lot um, we shouldn't feel like that it's something that we should avoid but it's something that we should almost embrace um, that we're going to hear no a lot but that doesn't mean we should stop trying to hear no, I guess, or if that makes sense, but keep pushing yourself, keep trying to find different ways. And just because you get that no too, that doesn't mean that whatever you did was bad. It might just mean like, okay, let's go back. Let's retool this. Let's think it out. Or maybe from a timing standpoint in jobs, perhaps it just didn't work out, but that doesn't mean that your opportunity can't be somewhere else. So going back to that whole thing, um, I think it, it helps me kind of grow in that sense to always go for it, never leave anything unturned. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, if there's an opportunity that you see, you got to take advantage of it and go for it. Because again, worst thing somebody's going to say to you is no. Um, and, and you'll be happy. I, I would say, try to live in a mindset to know that, hey, at least I did it versus questioning, oh, what if I did this? Um, and, and I think that's been a big part in that. Um, from the college experience too, I'm trying to think what else I did. Oh, yep. Uh, you know, also sports anchor too. We were we were also uh, Larry and I were fellow tour guys. I don't know. Did we cross paths at we, one point? We we did not. Well, we did. Yes, at an admissions event. That was yeah. after you were a tour guide, though. I think you came back and and gave a a speech of sorts to prospective students, and then that's when I I met you for the first time. So that's kind of yeah. funny. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like those small things. Um, it definitely taught me how to walk backwards. So uh, I can <laughs> still do that today. 
And that's like the other thing too, is like, everybody's always afraid of falling, but once you fall, it's, it's nothing. Like you could walk backwards so confidently. It's like, it, this is such a weird way, I guess, to kind of seg or to like transition into like that advice, but it's like, until it like actually happens and you're like, oh, it actually wasn't that bad. Like after you like, after you rip off that bandaid, no matter what you do. What an analogy. Like, yeah. It, it just, it just comes back and, and you're like, wow, like that happened. And you know what? I can do this now. I can do this. And it's, it wasn't that bad. So there, there you go. I, I never, I did not expect that analogy to, to come out here, but here we are. <laughs> you, you mentioned being the sports anchor on the campus television station, BUTV. I know sometimes Dave Lenny, the director of that program, still shows your tape and he sat oh down gosh. and talked to me about how good you were. And so you definitely left an impression there. And then shifting from Bradley into your career and your first professional job, I know that first job search, that's probably a scary time for a lot of people. <clears throat> I'm coming up on my first job search after yeah. I graduate in May or even probably a little bit before what was that first job search like for you? And was it a struggle at first? Technically working at 25 was my first job full-time in the industry. Um, when I graduated from college, I actually went back to Mount Carmel High School, worked um, in a creative marketing role and also oversaw the broadcast program. Um, so that was actually my first job out of college. Um, it I'll be honest, you know, it was pretty tough because um, I think it was, you know, you don't know what to, what to kind of put together in the broadcast because it's like almost a little out there and um, it's, there's so many different things and, and um, we can talk about this a little, a little more, um, but I would honestly, you know, I, I love it. You know, being a part of the Asian American Journalists Association really helped me develop a tape, develop how to put myself in front of news directors and, and all those types of things and how to get your start in local news. Um, because not, I mean, there are, there is that 1%, but very rarely does ESPN come to somebody right out of college and offer them an on-air job. Um, and, and that's the thing. And, and we talked, and I talked about working your way up too, but it's like working your way up can mean so many different things, especially from an on-air perspective. Um, it's not like uh, this is, you know, small thing just to kind of go off to the side. My friend did give me this great advice when I was looking for jobs into the broadcast hunt. Um, he did say to me, he's like, don't feel like that you need to compromise yourself for said company. Like, you know, if it's like a big network, uh, don't take a job just because it's a job there. Wait for them to kind of come to you. Wait for them. Wait for that moment for you basically, because it's like, you know what you want to get after. Sometimes it does take a little bit of like, okay, this is still the right role for me, but don't feel like that. It's like, it's for internships too, you know, just because it's this internship at, you know, your dream network, it might not be the exact uh, opportunity that you're looking for. So I would say, look for the best opportunity for you to grow. So going back to this whole thing though, um, I was at Mount Carmel for about, little a uh, little over a year I want to say I loved it you know I, I really appreciated like working with kids and everything and um, also getting to like mentor them same situation that I had in high school so it was, it was like that full circle thing but ultimately I knew and they knew too that broadcast was my big passion 
Um, so I, I took the leap of faith. Uh, I want to say the job hunts with, you know, where I was jobless basically was about a month and a half. I uh, really appreciate the support I had from my parents um, and my friends during that time, you know, because I mean, it was a month and a half, but, you know, sometimes you can, you can feel like, you know, every day again is a new day where it's like, okay, when is something going to happen? I've put my stuff out there. And sometimes you just need that moment where it's like, you know, maybe something won't happen today, but still feel confident that no matter what, you're going to keep networking, you're going to keep reaching out to people. Um, something will come about. And basically, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes it is about timing. And I went from having absolutely no leads to messaging one of my friends um, who is now one of the evening anchors at um, part of Illinois ABC and telling her, hey, you know, I'm in the job haunts and everything. She sent me, she sent me um, the news director at the time, his contact information. We talked for a little bit and lo and behold, they're like, yeah, we actually have an opening for a weekend sports anchor. They were about to offer somebody else that job. So I, I don't know if that person's listening or, or what it was, but um, but basically what it was, they were about to offer somebody a job. I happened to send my stuff in before they sent out that formal offer. They brought me in um, and, and I got the job. So I want to say I went less than 24 hours from, again, not having any leads to, hey, we really like your stuff. Can you come to the station tomorrow? We're going to have your tape or we're going to have your uh, interview. We're going to have your audition Thursday morning. Can that, can that work out? Like, like that. So sometimes you got to be ready to, I wouldn't say drop everything, but you get what I'm saying? Like, uh, be, be ready to turn around because again, you never know what's going to happen. And as I was mentioning, timing is such a big thing. So with that job search, like I said, you know, it, it turned out pretty good. Um, I mean, I, I know so many people though, too, that yes, the job search is intense. It is a lot. I would, again, I would say, you know, it is good to kind of keep yourself alert, kind of keep yourself in check, um, write some things down, write goals down, but at the same time, don't feel like you have to overstress to like overwork yourself every day. Sometimes we need those types of moments where we take a step back, take a breather, and then get back at it. There's nothing wrong with, with um, having that mindset of like, okay, I know I can do this. You just got to make sure that um, you, you never count yourself out. Like that's, that's the big thing that I would always say, because, you know, you have the ability to do it. And, and that's what I would just always push um, to, to know that you have the confidence to do it. It's, it's just a matter of putting in the work and again, even taking some time for yourself, like for that quick breather. I know that a job search, there's, there's few things that can rattle your confidence that like a job search does, right? Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people would have the tendency to convince themselves, oh, I'm not good enough. Nobody wants me. Nobody's going to take my job application. I think that makes things difficult. And in this business, I feel as if self-confidence is everything. So once, once you landed at WEEK, what was that workflow like in the first few months, getting used to being back in television after almost a year off? I imagine that that may have been complicated. So uh, actually, one thing I, I totally fumbled and did not even mention was that actually I did freelance um, and, and that's what helped build my reel. Um, I want to say I was freelancing for about technically five to six months because it was NBA season. So I jumped in, I jumped in right after New Year's at that point. 
Um, this is also 2018, 2019, no, 2017, 2018, uh, during a fantastic Chicago Bulls run with Wayne Selden, Paul Zipser, um, and all that. So whoever is, whoever the diehard Chicago Bulls fans listening to this, they, I can feel that cringe already. Uh, that was a fun season, although they had Zach Levine. So that was cool to watch. Um, but uh, I did do that. So that's actually what helped me polish my skills um, and everything to to get that real-time experience, to get you know out there, basically. And it, and it was fun. It gave me a taste of what it was like to be uh, the professionals. Um, lo and behold, I actually came across uh, fairly recently, I think right before I started doing the Bucks playoff coverage, uh, one of the games I covered was Giannis versus uh, Anthony Davis when AD was with the Pelicans. So I'm like, and that was at their old stadium. And I'm like thinking, wow, here I am. Like, this was just freelance. And I was hoping like, maybe I'll be back here someday. And lo and behold, I was at Pfizer Forum for game one um, of the the first round of the playoffs, made their NBA finals run. So it's just kind of funny how things come full circle there. So I did have those polished skills uh, or not. I I did have those moments, should I say, um, where I could remain fresh. I could keep that craft going. Um, but it wasn't a full time. It was it wasn't every day. Um, that was also on top of my full time job that I had. So sometimes it takes like super long days. If you, it's it's how much you want it to. Sometimes I, I think is uh, how how uh, how passionate are you about it? Because sometimes it it does take that um, that like extra effort at that point. I want to say sometimes those were like I was looking at least like fifteen hour days. I would work my nine to five. I go to the United Center. I'd be home probably like 11, 11.30 midnight. Um, and yeah, that wake up six next day, boom, like almost kind of do it all over if uh, it was a back-to-back day. So it's uh, again, so the, so going back to all that, that was something that helped me going into the job at WEEK. And I think just over time, um, during, the, during the two years, um, primarily though, before the pandemic happened, I think it was just kind of working on my craft, um, working closely with, you know, my assistant news director, a couple of my colleagues, one who is in Charlotte now. Um, and I mean, she was fan- a fantastic resource to talk to. Um, I think just in general, um, I really lucked out, I will say, to be in the market that I went to college in. So that, that helped out. But if anything, it also challenged me to go outside of what I knew Um, And I think that's just the fun thing about journalism is that you never know who you're going to meet, what you're going to learn, but it's, it's a really fantastic journey. And then you were at WEK for, correct me if I'm wrong, about two years, a little over two years. Mm -hmm. And then you transitioned to WKOW in Madison, but I know that was another (laughs) non-linear moment for you because you left WEK. And then you were sort of in limbo for a few months. Another job search, especially during COVID, in the middle of this pandemic, that second job search, that couldn't have been easy either. Oh, my gosh. I, I, will, I will be lying if I didn't tell you. I mean, there were moments of like, you know, pressures or, or anxieties, all that, honestly. That was a bit of a longer process, um, the waiting time. But again, it's, you know, you just you just kind of know, you want to trust your gut. Um, ultimately, um, I would say that, again, it all came down to networking too. And it all came down to timing, but you always want to make sure that you're all that you're on your toes. Um, I'm grateful 
that somebody gave me a tip about the job here at WKOW. I want to say that there were quite a few amount of applicants and it's still crazy to think that like I landed this job um, over here, but going, going back to that whole thing, it's like the waiting period, I think was kind of that blessing in disguise. Um, I ultimately knew for my career that this was the next step I wanted to take. And sometimes, you know, you have to evaluate the risks. Um, I, I guess I would say I'm a calculated risk type of guy, but at the same time, it's like trusting my gut, knowing that, you know, something's going to be out there. Um, and I think uh, knowing that I had the trust of my parents, like 100%, 110%, honestly, if I could say that, um, that, that they were right there by my side and knowing that something was going to happen, um, having the confidence in yourself and, and knowing that your talent could take you as far as possible. But again, you know, networking, valuing relationships, people, a lot of people were looking out for me. I really appreciated that. And um, yeah, ultimately sent in the application over to WKW when they had the opening, um, talked to, actually, this was a wild process as well, because this was all during COVID. I had my first interview with our news director um, uh, at the time and the sports director, our current sports director too at WKW. Um, that was the first interview. Then the second one, because I couldn't be there, I had this like, I had like seven Zoom interviews in a matter of an hour and a half. So it was like, everybody was a 15 minute chunk, which was crazy. So that was the second one. And um, yeah, that's, that's basically how like the interview process worked during these COVID times, which was so, so crazy. And I think like after that hour and a half, I just felt like I was gassed because yeah, you're sitting on, you're sitting on the computer, you're boom, boom, boom. But it was, it was a very unique experience that uh, I'm glad that I can kind of share that story too right now, because it's like, yeah, this is what it was like when you're interviewing during this unique time. That's tough. Everybody had to adapt. And I, I suppose having seven interviews is, is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's funny. I, um, I think uh, I was supposed to get the schedule away earlier. Um, I knew that I was just meeting from like 12 to 1.30, but I guess the the email was in someone's drafts. So I never actually got the full schedule until like 10 minutes before my interview. So I'm almost happy that, uh, I'm pretty happy that it actually wasn't sent to me until then, because otherwise if I saw the whole list, I would have been like, oh my God, I'm meeting with this person and that person. And like, what do I do? But it was just like, go with the flow, just talk and and uh, get to know everybody and and that's just something that i would also say too for like other people um interviewing don't be afraid to also ask questions you know this is a this is a place where you want to work too um so yeah just always ask questions get to know somebody get to learn about their path because you never know um everybody's path is different and and that's also something that i would really encourage like people to think about is that don't feel like you have to do this internship or work at this place to get there um, because again, for me, I started out working in a high school, then landed the Peoria job and now I'm here in Wisconsin. So it's like, there's so many different things in between that get you from point A, then point A, 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 B, you get what I'm saying, then to point B, like embrace the journey, embrace the road. You sound like Bradley had basketball coach, Brian Wardle. Embrace oh the journey, God. but there's, there's a lot yeah. of truth to that. There's a lot of yeah. truth to that path is paths are nonlinear. 
and life is kind of non-linear in that sense. I want to kind of jump back to the end of your time at WEK. I think something that's challenging for a lot of people is deciding when it's time for the next step in your career or when to move from job number one to job number two or try and take that leap. How did you evaluate yourself and how did you decide that you were ready to move on and try and make a leap to your second job? Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll actually throw it back to part of the advice when I was moving on from Mount Carmel um, at my job there um, with somebody I'm still very, very close with the uh, the head soccer coach for the varsity team. Um, I've known him since I was a student, too. So I think when I told him that I was moving on from the job that I had at Mount Carmel to try to pursue the broadcast industry, I think um, we had a great conversation um, about growth. Um, and he said, you know, I am the person who always tries to, him saying this to me. <clears throat> I always try to challenge myself to make sure I am um, moving. I'm not moving laterally. Like, how am I progressing each and every day? How am I making upward mobility? It could be small, you know, but as long as I as I keep moving up slowly but surely, make sure, you know, lateral movement, a lateral movement too, like isn't necessarily a bad thing um, either but you want to make sure that it's just not too long. You know, you want to challenge yourself. And, and again, um, just because like, you know, you're in the same position for X amount of years, doesn't mean necessarily that you are moving laterally. You can find different ways to challenge yourself, especially this industry too, you know, find different ways to challenge yourself. And I think that's, those are the things that, what are the small goals? You know, you have the raw talent, but what are some small things that you can kind of hone in on? Ultimately, going back to his advice was recognizing that, okay, how am I moving? What, what is that upwards? Like, I think I knew that, you know, I love Central Illinois. I love the high school coverage. I love the taste of, you know, having still like Bradley and Illinois State and uh, from time to time, Illinois, um, getting like that division one. And I think, you know, when I was looking for the job search, I would always use actually Madison as a, as an example market, lo and behold, here we are. Um, and I think it was crazy because especially with how awesome of a sports state Wisconsin is, um, you're, you're in the hub where the UW Badgers are. You've also got some other great um, Wisconsin colleges, college programs that um, like UW Whitewater baseball, football as well. I mean, those are some like great programs too that we have over here. Um, and then of course, you know, you have the Brewers, you have the Packers uh, and you have the Bucks. I mean, that that was just a that, that was just a win right there. So that's why I would always use Madison as like a, a sample market of like what I wanted next. Um, I think the other thing too is a colleague from the Asian American Journalists Association (AAJA). Um, he actually gave me when I was still in my first market. He asked me a few months in, he's like, "How's everything going?" He's like, he almost kind of asked me what I want next, whether it was a job in general. And I was like, "Yeah, you know, I, I love like." I'm not gonna lie. I probably gave him like a standard set of goals. He's like, he stops me. He's like, listen, dude, and I'll keep this a little more clean because I don't know if this is a, I don't know if this is an explicit podcast. I, I love him. He, that's why I love like the advice that this guy gives me because it's always straightforward. Um, but he's like, I'll stop you right there. He's like, those are solid goals, but those are standard, and those are like that's what everybody says. So I want you to think about it this way. You don't have to answer it now, but think about what's a place that you would be happy that you would like to be in 
And what is a place, if you got that job offer today, you would be absolutely freaking stoked to be in. And, and at that moment, that just like opened my eyes. And I'm like, wow, like that is very true. And he's like, yeah. So if you got job offers from this market, you'd be happy in it, you'd like it. But if somebody else was competing, it's like, hey, Pablo, we want you today. How would you feel? What are those places? It doesn't have to be a city. It could be some, some place that offers this. It could be some place that offers that. And from that perspective too, from um, my colleague in the broadcast industry, that's what opened my eyes up to know that, okay, like now I can identify what I want in the next markets. So it was a combination of past advice that I received before I was even in broadcast to advice that I had while I was also in the broadcast industry. So again, it was identifying those pieces of advice. Um, and then uh, I also talked with um, some of my other colleagues while I was in Peoria too, uh, just talking to them. And, um, you know, I, I think it was, yeah, just same thing, set those goals. Um, you know what's right for you ultimately. And uh, those were, those are the three long story pieces that, uh, that I would definitely say that kind of helped me identify, all right, now it's time to take that next step. A lot of the time, I think that we tend to sell ourselves short at times, and it, it takes that advice from another person or an outside party to tell us, hey, you know, you can do this. Here's this advice. Here's how you should set yourself up for success that I think it helps a lot. How do you go about making those connections? It's, it's really interesting. And, and honestly, it's, it's all about whether it's mentors or even just like having colleagues too, who are in similar positions as you, for instance, like I'll say like a great networking opportunity was just when, like when the bucks were in the NBA finals, essentially, or even just like making their run throughout the playoffs. Like I met so many different reporters, not just sports, but in general, like so many different broadcasters um, in the Milwaukee area, but even just in Wisconsin, because it was huge. Um, so just making those contacts, um, whether they're, you know, their uh, peers that you could relate to or somebody that it's like you could pick their brain and you could even pick your peers brains too, of course. But it's just kind of um, it's it's really interesting at that point. Um, and also, again, mentioning there's different organizations like I know the organization that you're a part of too to, to do this podcast. That's great. Um, and for myself being part of the Asian American Journalists Association. I think that is just, there's so many different avenues that you can go when it comes to networking, when it comes to just putting yourself in front of somebody. It even just takes a quick email. Um, I would say like a lot of recruiters that I've heard from, highly recommend not saying um, in an email, hi, I'm such and such, do you have any job openings? Because they're like, you could easily just go to their website. Instead, initiate a conversation, say, even if they don't have a job opening, identify places that you want to work or intern with and say like, hey, you know, uh, really appreciate your work. Would love to get to know about your path. Um, I know there's not any openings. If there are, uh, if you have anything, here's my resume. Treat it more casually versus like very formal because people just, you know, they want to be real with you, you know? Um, and I, I think that's what I've appreciated from my mentorships um, that I've had. Um, my, my true, true mentor in uh, AAJA, Funny enough, she actually used to work in Madison. So she was really excited to hear that I landed this job. Not only she helped me with building contacts, but she's also told me like, hey, like this is the place to check out. So it's like, it's kind of funny. We're like, are you like living vicariously through me? So we just laughed a little bit about that. Um, 
So it's, it was just kind of funny to, to have that like extra step too. But, you know, there's so many different ways that you could find mentors and there's not like one, one way though too. But going back to the other question is like, they have instilled so much confidence in me. And I think there was like a recent moment that I had where I had to take a, where like I took a step back and I'm like, I'm here, like I'm at this event basically. And you mentioned it too, where it's like, having that confidence or, or sometimes having that self-doubt that I know a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome um, a lot. And that's a common thing where people feel like I shouldn't be here, but I would almost try to help you flip that narrative and believe in yourself to know that you are in this position for a reason. Somebody had the confidence in you, whether it's a job or even a job interview, don't count yourself out because somebody saw your stuff. Somebody liked what they saw and somebody is giving you this opportunity now. Uh, I'm not saying like, you know, don't mess up type of thing, but it's more of a confidence. It's like a self-confidence booster of the idea of, hey, like somebody did have that confidence in me. You know, I, I can do this. I am supposed to be here. Hey there, welcome to The Pursuit. This is the new podcast series produced by the junior board of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, Chicago Midwest Chapter. My name is John Owens. I'm the president of the Natus Chicago Midwest Chapter, and we're thrilled to present this new series from our junior board. It's the first board of its kind among the 19 Natus chapters nationwide. Our chapter established this novel group in the spring of 2021, and our junior board is now comprised of 30 students and young professionals, all between the ages of 18 and 26 who go to school or work in one of the chapter's eight TV markets. We're extremely proud of this diverse group and some of the initiatives that are being planned for the 2021-2022 season. The pursuit is perhaps the most notable of these endeavors. In this podcast, our promising broadcasters from the junior board interview industry leaders about how they got started in the industry and about the pursuit of a meaningful career in television and film. In October alone, our junior board has four great interviews planned for this podcast. Interviews with Chicago luminaries, Thea Flum, Melissa Foreman, Joel Weissman, and Pablo Iglesias. And there are more great interviews planned for the rest of the season. You can find the complete list of our upcoming pursuit interviews at our website, chicagoemmyonline.org. We'll have our first pursuit podcast premiering during the first week of October. Thanks and get ready for the pursuit. You mentioned the Asian American Journalists Association a lot, and it's an organization that you talk about a lot on Twitter. You've mentioned a lot in our conversations. It's clearly benefited you a lot. If you were to make a sales pitch to somebody who's considering joining an organization like AJA or any other equivalent organization of the same nature, what would you say to them? How would you describe an organization like that? And what are the benefits? Um, for me, obviously, the big thing was why you want to be a part of an organization like that is the networking. Um, I mean, when I first went to the first convention, I mean, I was shaking hands with like so many different people, like from like, I'm actually just looking at my media credential wall right now, uh, just like different places like CNN, all those types of things. Um, all the big networks. And then there's also like uh, organizations that represent like local news and all that. Um, and I'm thinking too, there's also just media personalities like Juju Chang from Nightline. Um, a lot of like my colleagues that I'm very close with now who I've grown up watching um, at the time. And I was like, whoa, like now, 
go fast forward to the second year, we're just like best friends all of a sudden now. It's like here I was like this kid out of college and I was just like, you know, very nervous trying to meet all these people. But now all of a sudden, like they're my friends. I can go to them, um, like talking to like a bunch of ESPN people. Um, and I think that was that was like the big thing was key networking. But on the other side, too, especially um, for, you know, someone like myself, too, in, in the current situation that we're in right now, I think it has also helped me from a confidence standpoint, own who I am. Um, I think that is that is such a crucial thing uh, right now because, you know, it, it helps me build that self-confidence in myself to, you know, be able to stand up and, and feel more confident to pursue different stories. Like, for instance, and I'm grateful that I had the opportunity within my first month was to talk to um, some of the Wisconsin Badger golfers about Hideki Matsuyama's win at the Masters being the first Asian male to win such a coveted like champion or to win such a coveted tournament. Um, and what does that mean during a time? I think that was, and it's, it's still going on, of course, but at that moment, that was, I would say a very big moment in the South Asian hate movement. Um, I think that was a really big thing to discuss. Um, and again, I'm, I really appreciate that. Uh, my department gave me the green light to go after a story like that. It was very interesting um, to hear these perspectives and to talk about how big of a game golf was to the Asian community and why this victory meant so much. Um, but going back to all that, I, this is a very long sales pitch too. So as we mentioned before we started recording, uh, I mentioned to Larry, I tried to keep it short, but uh, that is not happening now. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, the, the big thing is like, you know, there's so many different things. Obviously, again, it's like networking, but not only are like the people that I see each and every year, like, are they my AHA colleagues? Like, I mean, honestly, they're like family to me. Like, this is like a second family. It's we're super tightened in. I mean, we have we have a group Twitter chat of at least like I want to say it. it started with 50 and I want to say it just keeps going. Like, there's a lot of us in this Twitter group chat and we all share like headlines. We all just like catch up with each other. We'll shoot a text here and there and we're all in different parts of the country. And it's, it's really amazing to see what everybody's doing. We all have that same type of goal to not just make it like at different points, but to recognize that it's also about giving back. Um, it's all about building that, you know, representation matters essentially. And I think that's such a huge thing too. Um, so this, that's specific, the specific mission of this organization, like that's a big thing, but being a part of organizations in general helps you meet different people. Um, and ultimately this is a little more of a side note, but when I did Sunday night football coverage uh, for the bears Packers opener, and I think it was the hundredth season, um, they set us up and like, they're like, yeah, you're going to talk to Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth and Mike Tirico. And thinking about a guy who has like been in the business barely for a year, full time, you're going to be talking to these big dogs. But I talked to my mentor in AAJ. She's like, at some point in their life, they were exactly where you were. So don't feel like just because yes, they have, they have done a lot of great things and they have, they are historic like names don't get me wrong don't feel like that they aren't just as human as you so I, I think that's like another big thing too going back to what we were talking about with mentors like that was 
such a wild thing to think about, but such a comforting thing at the same time. So yeah, uh, very long sales pitch, like I said, but just really grateful to be part of this organization and, and uh, love the fact that they helped me confidently, you know, or basically helped me feel, you know, comfortable in, in my own skin um, of who I am. Not that I wasn't before, but they enhanced that um, for sure. And, and, you know, I want to hopefully, along with my friends, try to inspire the next generation to show that, you know, you don't have to stick to a certain mold, that you can do whatever you want, and um, sky's the limit. One thing you mentioned in there was the representation factor. And I think that's been brought up a lot over the last year plus, kind of started with the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020. And it's morphed into all sorts of other different movements that I think have bettered our society and business specifically in, in terms of diversity. Representation is, is a big deal, you mentioned. How would you define representation and why exactly is it important for so many different groups to be represented, say, on television specifically? Well, just kind of talking about the the Black Lives Matter movement to like just seeing what it was when I was a senior in college to, you know, especially now seeing it is, you know, it's, it has heightened in 2020. There are, those conversations are continuing. And I remember being at like certain things like my senior year in college, like when those conversations started and then those thoughts started to come into my mind. And I think um, as a journalist now too, in that situation, being seeing things like you know almost same situations but being in like a different part of my life now I think it was really interesting getting to talk like I'll never forget the moment that I had I think I might have saved it somewhere just you know because because it was that fantastic of a conversation when I talked to the Bradley Athletic Director Chris Reynolds and his story during everything I think that was a fantastic mix of social activism, why you should be involved in the community and why representation matters so much because he told me so many different stories about the importance of education coming from where he was. I mean, Chris Reynolds um, from is, you know, Larry, you and I know him pretty well. Um, Chris Reynolds, the Bradley University athletic director was originally from Peoria. He was a Peoria high school basketball star, went to Indiana, and worked as you know through through like went through different schooling got his doctor or got his phd um and came back to be the athletic director down the road and i remember when we just talked about everything he the stories that stuck out to me was when he showed his grandfather who he told me did not go past the fourth grade that he's like not only did i graduate from college but i have my phd And he said, I want to say that was like one of the last moments that he had with his grandfather. And he's like, that's how important education was to my family. And that was the importance of showing that I can do, you know, I can, I can do this. I can make this happen. I made this a reality. And then the second thing too, was when he said to the head coach, Brian Wardle, as they were marching down from campus to um, where they play the Peoria Civic Center downtown, he's like, I walked past the block that I grew up like as a child. And he's like, to think about that and to point it out to the head coach, Brian Wardle, like, that's where I grew up. To think that's like, 
this is a kid still at the end of the day this is a this is a guy this is a kid who grew up just right there and it's like that's about making a difference you know it's i think that's just something in general that like i talked to i was talking to one of my friends about this recently um just we always want to try to make this big impact like in the entire world and if we want to change the world like our like the entire world but changing the entire world starts with your world how are you influencing change in your everyday life you know what questions are you asking yourself what questions are you asking other people what conversations are you having and and i think in these types of times too and i think it's partly i feel like i can feel a little more comfortable as a journalist because you know i ask these questions but at the same time it's like you know making having those conversations making them comfortable where it feels like uncomfortable situations you know asking those questions but listening too um i think being a part of that in such a unique way and seeing it through sports um people gravitate to sports of course and especially during the pandemic like that was a rough time where we didn't have that and to see that the athletes and i wish i was when i say wish i mean more so from the the coverage perspective to get to listen to people and get to talk to them when the Milwaukee Bucks in the bubble decided to not play their playoff game. Um, instead, I think, yeah, I was grateful that I got to have some conversations with some colleagues and I have just real conversations about it, you know. Um, and I think that kind of just brought light to so many different things. Um, when we talk about representation, though, I know I kind of got on a little bit more of a different tangent there, but I, I think it's important and just tying it back into representation on so many different levels. From my perspective, um, I think especially to to talk about the Devin Funches situation with the Green Bay Packers and even the Juventus women's soccer team, it's just kind of, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie, like it, it puts you in this unique situation because you want to be a journalist, you want to be objective, but at the same point, that doesn't mean that you should suppress this human feeling that you have at the same time, because it is hard. Um, because a lot of my colleagues, one of them said it's like it's bringing back a lot of you know, PTSD for a lot of people right now, because even in the most harmless ways, like somebody has faced something like this. So I think the reason why representation is such a strong thing is because there's a lot more prominent voices. I give a lot of props to one of my uh, friends. Actually, we went to the same convention. I think it was the first convention that we went to. Uh, June Lee, um, I know pretty well. Um, he has just grown so much. Like uh, we, like I've seen him from Bleacher Report or yeah, BR the Mag. Then ESPN got him. Then he started writing for ESPN the magazine. I could not tell you how excited I was to see him on Pardon the Interruption, uh, not Pardon the Interruption, I'm sorry, uh, Around the Horn. Um, and it was just like, there it was. You know, and I think he's utilizing, he's he's using the platform in such a fantastic way to bring up these conversations, to ask these questions. And I think um, in, a, in, a, in this situation too, I think there's so often, like we have such a forgive and forget mentality when it should just kind of be more of, continuing the conversation to keep talking to to understand the why um it's it's sometimes like we don't always have those conversations and i think that's such an important thing and i i think again going back to representation and why that matters is because the why is being hit a lot more 
um sometimes people i do feel like you know it, it can be like people are like oh why is this in your face it's, it's not that it's in your face it's more that it's like hey let's let's just tackle this in a different way like this is this is the truth sometimes and and you know sometimes again as we talk about comfortable and uncomfortable conversations it's um you know you just got to get the truth out there and um it's it's pretty interesting though um seeing this moment in time and where we're going to go from here i think the devin funches situation you mentioned it it kind of brings some conversations and some things back to the surface and i've seen a lot of good remarks from asian voices in the industry about the devin funches and the the soccer team situation um, about what happened. And for those who are unfamiliar, Devin Funches, Packers wide receiver, used an anti-Asian slur in a press conference and made an anti-Asian gesture in that press conference. And you made a, a great remark that sticks out in my head um, in your last few comments about covering these situations, about how you know, you're a human. How are you supposed to suppress the emotions that come to the surface when you see something like that, but at the same time, try and cover it as a journalist, quote unquote, unbiased. How do you try to balance those things out? Because I know it's got to be a struggle. I think it, it is interesting. And um, newsrooms to my, from, from what I'm hearing from my colleagues are not that they weren't open before, but they're, because it's just like, it's, it's something that hasn't, hasn't been tackled as much. Um, I think it's, it's interesting seeing what newsrooms are doing in terms of, you know, it's more than just a diverse hire. It's about how can somebody grow uh, as this diverse voice. And it, I had a good conversation with a couple of colleagues like well before where it's like, as you know, asking that same question, it's like, how do you, you know, um, separate that? And I think from my side of it too, when I, when I did that, um, Badger's story, I tried to make sure, of course, it's like, you know, I don't throw emotion into it. I do throw the facts and, and I let the emotion come out through the people that I talked to, because those are, because really at the end, like, that's like, this is their story. Like, like uh, I talked to, I want to say, I talked to four different golfers, um, three currents, one former and, um, Aya Johnson, also the former golfer too, was, was half Japanese. And I think it was, it was kind of interesting to, to relate on that side because I'm also half Asian, half Hispanic. And I think it was like, we had that, uh, that specific thing. And we had two international golfers and one Asian American golfer. Um, I think um, really when it comes down to it, the way I view it is always like, what is such and such a story to tell? You know, what are they telling me? Um, Again, I try to make sure again that it's whether it's in my writing, whether it's in my storytelling, that look like here's what happened. This is what such and such says. Um, most of the people will try to see that. Um, sometimes I'm going to be honest, like not everybody always sees it. Like I try to stay away from the social media comments, of course. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess just kind of knowing that you can own that, that story and um, feel confident in yourself again, because it's like one of my um, great mentors at um, WEK, the assistant news, or no, I'm sorry, now he's the news director, which is awesome. Um, Leon Hendricks, I think we had a great conversation just about like when he wanted me to go after 
the story with Bradley having the march. And I remember kind of talking to him. I'm like, is this something that I can do? Like, I'm not going to lie. I had that moment where I was like, I didn't know if I could pursue that story or not because I was ultimately afraid of failing. I was afraid of not handling the story correctly because in my mind, and this is just something in general where you see it so many times, especially when a professional athlete speaks up, they're like, oh, stick to sports thing. I almost got myself stuck in that mindset of that I can only do sports stories of this happens here when really when it comes down to it, sports is still the element. You're just still telling that story. And he gave me that confidence to say, even though you have not specifically encountered the things that such and such has gone through, you have at some point felt the same way that they have felt. You have felt some type of pain. You have felt some type of frustration. So even though like you don't want to put that emotion into it, ask those questions in that way. That way you can tell a powerful story. You know, I'm not saying that when I track my story, I'm like, I felt this way too, but it's more of when you ask those questions because you've been in some type of relative situation or related, uh, yeah, you've been in a relative situation, you can thread those questions and you can kind of have that conversation comfortably and talk to them from that way and tell their story in that lens. Because again, it's all about the relatability. Does that make sense? That's a great way of putting it, just trying to convey emotions through answers. And I think you said that earlier with your golf story that you did. Shifting gears a little bit, general questions here, last few questions for you. Yeah. In your eyes, when you're sitting down and, and coming up with story ideas, brainstorming stories, or a story idea is obvious, what in your eyes makes a good package or story uh, in your job? It's a, that's a great question. Um, and ultimately like in my position too, and to, to talk about that UW Badgers golf story, honestly, it's like, just because something hap doesn't happen in, in certain parts of like where you're at, doesn't mean that it can't be a story at some point. That's why it was like one, I knew that Hideki Matsuyama winning was fantastic. And then I thought to myself, I'm like, well, we've got a golf team here. It, let me look through the roster. And I happened to find out that, again, there were uh, three players of Asian descent, two international, again, one Asian-American on the roster, uh, reached out to my mentor. She's like, yeah, I'm really close with uh, Aya Johnson over at Golf Channel. She was a big Badger golfer. Uh, she's a huge Hideki fan. So, you know, utilize that market. It's like it's all about figuring out in local news, should I say, um, how can you make this relatable to the people at home. And honestly, that's just any story in general. Um, I love watching E60 stuff. I love watching 30 for 30s. I love just watching a good story. No matter what, at the end of the day, it could be it could be a, a story about the eight-year-old that you know hit a home run swinging backwards, whatever it was. But if you could tell that story like in a way where it's like, wow, wait, what? Like, this is, I never expected like the story to hit me in this way. Like if you can, if you can figure out a way to show how relatable that is in different ways. And that's the beauty of sports um, is, and, and with the comeback of what sports is making and hopefully will triumphantly have is we're going through this really interesting 
period as we head into the fall. But anyway, I think just sports stories in general, people gravitate towards that because again, like, as I was even saying, like, even though you haven't been in somebody's like specific position, you have felt that way. You have felt that situation of I fell hard, but I've also triumphed and you kind of feel that sense. And that's why obviously people gravitate towards it um, going full circle back to this whole thing. Like it's, that's, that's what I feel like is what makes a good story. Um, the other side of it too is like, and I still try to get myself on this one. Um, this is more for like, I guess, specific TV. Um, shorten your questions <laughs> because you know what I, I say to myself kind of more jokingly is like, I'm not going to air the questions that I ask. I'm going to air the the stuff that that people talk about. Um, but again, it's it's just always trying to find different ways um, to, you know, have the conversation with somebody, make them feel as comfortable as possible. You know, I I take this like different approach where it's like, you know, I always ask them what you have for breakfast today during their mic check, and all of a sudden you just see that the shoulders just drop. You always you just see them just like relax. Um, and you just have that conversation. Like, that's how I just do interviews too. It's just treat it like a conversation. Not everybody's going to be like always like very relaxed and everything, but that's what I at least try to do is, is make them feel as relaxed as possible because, you know, all of a sudden, like everyone's like, I want to be on TV. And all of a sudden the camera comes on and they're like, oh my God, like what happened? So it's like, camera's not even here. Look at me. Let's talk. That's it. Um, so there's so many different elements. Um, I mean, even video too, like the, and, and to, to, so I don't get too much on a rant from here, but basically like, there's just so many different things. Like there's not always like one thing that will be like, oh, okay. Like if I do this small thing, like a specific way, like that's it, I'm just going to do that and do that only. There's so many different things when it comes to that craft, but ultimately again, it's like, you can combine all those things together and tell a good story that's like I, I think ultimately it's just like how you can relate to somebody how you can you know make them feel something like I think that's that's such a huge thing you mentioned that people gravitate towards sports stories and I, I agree with that assessment because I think going back to our first question your first answer almost everybody grew up with a sports team they watched at least sports fans did and they have an emotional connection to a sports team, to an athlete. Everybody has a favorite team. Everybody has a favorite athlete. But a lot of people's first positions in television news, it's not just sports. It's sports slash news MMJ. Yeah. How does covering sports help you cover news in your opinion? And what are the differences? What are the similarities? And I know a lot of people transition from sports two news because they say being in sports helped so much. Yeah, honestly, um, that's, that is exactly what my title is that, that you happen to mention. So that's, that's, that was pretty funny that you say it like that. Um, I mean, I did one news story while I, while I was here so far, but I also knew that, you know, the market in itself, especially come this time of the year is pretty intense with sports. So I'm gonna be pretty busy with that. But um, the, when I finished up my time in Peoria, actually, I want to say like my last, who was like two and a half, at least three months. Um, I was actually doing split news. Like I was, I was being the news reporter. Um, and 
it was a bit of a transition in the beginning because again, it was just like all about gaining that confidence over time. But, you know, ultimately it was, it just came down to it again, telling that story. Obviously, again, it's like, you do want to still have the emotional element for certain things, but at the same time, there are certain stories where it's just like, you got to get the facts out there. And it's like, sometimes like there was one moment where it like kind of like maybe take a step back and realize it's like, whoa, like, I remember I was just like going off to like different press conferences because they just needed somebody. And then I started pitching stories about like news things that were happening in the area. And then one of the stories that I ended up doing was the lead story of the vaccine first arriving in Illinois. And I'm just kind of thinking, I'm like, how did I get to this point? And really, again, all it just comes down to is like my, um, you know, again, uh, Leon Hendricks, again, over at uh, in Peoria, Illinois, he put in a really good way when we talked like right before I was moving on. It's like, um, as a reporter, it's really interesting because you have to be an, a quote expert on something new almost every day, unless you're on a specific beat, of course. But it's like, you know, you still have to be on top of your game. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean you need to like know everything before you get that story, but you got to do your research. You got to put everything, you got to put the facts in and you have to have the best sources um, or, or reach out to all those types of people. Um, so I think from that experience that I had as the news reporter helped me just work on different things that I wanted to in my storytelling. Of course, with deadlines and everything, like I'm turning a package like almost every night. Like I have to like know that, okay, like I work on like that time management side. Um, on the other side too, is like, I remember doing a story at um, the Southside Mission, which is uh, one of the one of the charities in Peoria, Illinois area, uh, does a lot of like things for underrepresented communities in Peoria. Uh, I was doing a Thanksgiving, their Thanksgiving meal drive. And I knew that this was a great chance to utilize video, to utilize sound. Um, and that's the other side of it too, with storytelling, especially in TV, really storytelling in general is, um, don't feel like that you just have to carry the story with your writing, with your, with your voice, let other people, let other things enhance that story. Let, let them actually, let me flip that. Your track, your voice enhances the story, but again, they are the story, the elements around you are that story. Don't be afraid to even writing. Like you could even talk about like a stadium opening or whatever it is, or if to compare like right now, like a baseball team, like that you're covering wins it all. Describe the atmosphere, use that as the story. How can you let everything around you kind of tell that story? And that's, and that's just like the thing that I'd kind of took in is that, um, you know, through the news experience, I felt like, again, it just helped me get used to the everyday turnaround, but it also gave me the experience that I didn't expect that I wanted to grow as a reporter, that I wanted to polish up um, in different ways that, you know, it, it gave me the unexpected um, experiences there. I've got one last question for you, and it's going to cut deep. I really appreciate you taking the time. I think we've had some interesting discussions here the title of this podcast is the pursuit we're all pursuing something constantly in this business whether it's a good story or career goals what in your career are you pursuing 
And when does that pursuit end in your eyes? Honestly, what I feel like I'm pursuing goes back to what I was saying um, about changing your world or influencing change in your world as I kind of grew um, into this industry. Uh, being, being a 10 year old kid and wanting to just be in the industry, being in sports because you love sports, you grow and evolve. And that's just the beauty of life is that even what my goals are today could be way different and compared to like five, 10 years down the road, whatever it may be, even next year, you never know. But um, the beauty of that is that you grow and evolve. And I think now the pursuit again is like influencing something in your everyday life. Um, if I could always, if I could just do that, if I can influence someone some way with what I do, or just know that they can see that I enjoy what I do um, and influence that, especially again, from the representation side, I think that's, that's it. Um, like, you know, I, I love what I do. And I think uh, just going back to the other thing too about the representation side, um, not only for the Asian American journalist side, but again, you know, my half Hispanic side with my, my dad's side of the family, I think one of the other emotional moments that hits me whenever I think about it is that whenever my grandmother sees me on TV, my grandma coming from um, you know, very poor part of Mexico, came over to the States, met my grandfather in San Antonio. Um, then uh, my dad was born there. They came to Chicago, you know, work, work hard every day, um, that work ethic mentality. And um, I think one of the other things that my dad always mentions to me like fairly recently was that whenever they watch a broadcast and they just see the Iglesias name pop up on television that's what hits home for her um because she said she my dad said that he just like that she brings it up in Spanish she's like I never thought that I would see our last name up there like that and I think that's just a beautiful thing to think about not just like for myself but to think that you know, you can be a part of something like that. You can, whatever it is, you can have that legacy. It, it takes work. It takes dedication. But at the same time, it's like, you can make that happen. And I think um, just, again, I know I'm kind of going in like different like uh, areas over here, but at the same point, I guess it's just kind of like talking about how you can influence change, how you can, you know, be a part of ultimately something bigger than yourself, I guess, even though like I mentioned like family name, of course, but it's like, that's just kind of the feeling that you get is influencing different people. And hopefully maybe even somebody that looks like me could be influenced that way or somebody that looks like my friends and everything and just, or just hearing that voice. Uh, or maybe it's like a tweet that I have or something like that. It's like, I wanna make sure that these conversations are getting out there. And if I could help influence that change, that would be a fantastic thing. That's special. And that's, that's a great answer to that question. I think a great note to wrap up on. And I will say, I, I believe you're making a difference already, whether that's for me or my peers at Bradley and the many conversations that we've had, it goes a long way. And I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sitting down and having this conversation today out of your busy schedule. <laughs> I appreciate that too. And, you know, just, uh, Quick plug as well, you know, if you want to ever follow me on Twitter, uh, I'm at Pablo Iglesias TV, uh, similar handle on Instagram. I think it's like underscore TV. There's a little difference, but, you know, really appreciate it, Larry. Uh, outside of that 
shameless plug right there. But, you know, it's, it's really cool to get to see, you know, young professionals like yourself uh, making this way in this industry. You know, I, I didn't have this when I was your age. So, you know, really admire seeing you doing your thing and, and uh, just doing that. So wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much for this. Big thank you to Pablo for taking the time to join the Pursuit podcast today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I always enjoy talking to Pablo. It seems like he's always full of great advice. I particularly enjoyed our discussion about his career journey because it didn't really start right away for Pablo. He had to take a little bit of a non-linear path, and I think that's something that everybody can kind of learn from. Things don't always work out in a direct path, and Pablo is kind of for lack of a better term, bet on himself. He's maintained the belief that he can make it in this business and he's got the talent to make it in this business. And it's all really worked out for him in his multiple career stops, first in Peoria and then now in Madison. Once again, this is Larry Larson saying thank you for listening and be sure to join us next time for the next episode of the Pursuit Podcast presented by the Natus Junior Board.